Jerry Rice, the NFL's best wide receiver ever and one of the most dominant players in the sports history, beginning life as a bricklayer's son. If I didn't supply the bricks, then my father would end up losing money. And starting his career at a small Mississippi college. And everybody, they were like, what is happening at this small, predominant black school in Mississippi? He went on to win three Super Bowl rings and break more than 100 league records. Rice reflects on his 20 years in the football spotlight from the close call that gave him a new perspective. She lost a lot of blood and uh, all of a sudden chaos started. To the pain of leaving the 49ers. It's almost like they're looking to replace you. And his unwavering dedication to the sport he loved. You could have paid me five bucks and I, I, I would have went out there and played football. All that's coming up next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. You, you were one of eight children. You had uh, five brothers. Uh, I, I understand you used to chase wild horses. Yeah, with, uh, yeah, I, 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 what, I tell, did. Tell about that. Well, the reason why I chased uh, those wild horses is because if I, if I caught the horse, then I could ride the horse the rest of the day. But we didn't have the type of horses where you could just walk up to and, and just jump on them and go. So the process took maybe 45 minutes to an hour, but it was very rewarding because now we could ride the horses for the rest of the day. So uh, that also helped me condition myself for uh, you know what I was planning on doing in the future. But you didn't know. You I didn't weren't know. conditioning yourself for anything at the time other than ha having fun, right? No, I was just having fun. Uh, and I used to run uh, dirt roads, and I didn't know the reason why I was running the way I did. It would be 100 degrees out uh, in the middle of the day, but I just felt like I, I needed to get out there and run. I, I needed to train myself, and I had no idea I was training myself uh, for something really big down the road. Just to go back to this, how, how do you uh, go about getting a wild horse? You have to be very uh, uh, strategic. You got to know exactly where the horse is going. And, uh, you know, so we worked together as a team. If it was three or four people, we would work together. And I always knew exactly where the, the horses would end up. So it would take uh, maybe an hour to run them down, but at least, uh, you know, eventually we got rewarded. When you were growing up in Crawford, Mississippi, from what I've read, you know, no street signs, sidewalks, traffic signs, there weren't stadium concerts, there weren't drugs, there wasn't crime. H how would you describe what the environment was like there? You know, I think uh, growing up in Crawford, Mississippi is just like all family. Uh, it was not really that much going on. If you blink for a second going through Crawford, you were gonna miss everything that was in that town. But uh, everybody, they were very close, uh, no big concerts or anything like that. But you know, we would gather uh, in Crawford, Mississippi, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I, I think I wouldn't go back and change anything about that environment because like you said, I didn't have access to drugs and all that stuff. and. Uh, it was not a family member that could uh, put you in check. You know, anybody in the neighborhood or uh, anybody around that area could uh, just discipline you and just say, hey, look, uh, you need to straighten up and start acting right. Uh, so it, it was more of a family uh, atmosphere. How tight was money for the family back then? Well, it was very tight, but 
I think it taught us uh, the meaning of uh, hard work and uh, dedication. You know, we didn't have everything, and and we had to uh, to wait out our turn. You know, for clothes, uh, for everything. But I think because we were such a close family, we got through it. And I had no idea that I would be able to go back and, and give so much to my family down the road. But, you know, I think my father taught me, you know, hard work and dedication. He would take me to work with him uh, during the summer. He was a, a bricklayer and uh, we had a responsibility and you had to live up to it. You know, you had to help generate and bring money uh, into the house. And, uh, you know, I, I think my brothers and my sister, uh, we knew uh, firsthand uh, how to go out there and work hard and uh, be responsible. Your father was a six foot four, 280 yeah. pound tough man. He, uh, I believe, built the house you grew up in with his bare hands. Uh, tough guy, though, N never said, you know, I, I love you. No, 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 he was um, that type of guy. You know, wasn't, wasn't big into that. How, how would you describe him? I, a guy that was gonna discipline you, that was gonna teach you that nothing is gonna come easy, you're gonna have to work for it. And, uh, you know, like you said, he built uh, our home, you know, that we lived in. Uh, he uh, brought in the money uh, so that we could uh, survive. And uh, one of those guys that uh, never said, I love you, but you knew that he did. And, you know, what he instilled in me, I, I think it really made me into the individual that I am today. And this is something that, that I passed on to my kids also. There's no shortcuts. You have to work for everything. You have to earn it. It was the same way when I came to the San Francisco 49ers. I wanted to earn my money. I didn't want anybody to give me anything, and uh, I think that's why I worked so hard. How was laying bricks with your father? It was, uh, it was tough. It was a very difficult job. and like Maybe I, not fun at the time, no, but looking back on it. Yeah, like I yeah. stated, it you know, you would go out in the morning, you would leave home around six o'clock in the morning, and you might not come back till eight o'clock that evening. So it was a long day, and, uh, and, and you had to uh, live up to your responsibility. My job was to supply the bricks. And if I didn't supply the bricks, then my father would end up losing money, and we would get behind on the job. So I had a responsibility, and, and I uh, made sure I just took care of that. Everybody has their own story about how they got into their sport, but I think yours is quite unique and it's become <laughs> sort of that of legend. I know where right? you're going with this one. It, huh? it, uh, came from doing something that you yeah. don't want kids to do, but I'll, I'll yeah, let you tell you, the you story. Know what? And, and, and I tell kids this all the time, uh, do not play hooky. And I was playing hooky one day and the principal walked up behind me, he scared me, and he noticed that I could run fast. And the thing in Mississippi, uh, the way you got disciplined, uh, you know, so I got whipped a little bit. You know, he, uh, he had this, uh, this strap that he would, uh, would punish uh, uh, students with and stuff like that. So after he gave me maybe eight lashes or something like that, he wanted me to go out for the football team. And when I went out, you know, I, I, I noticed you know, that I was not the most gifted athlete out there, but I, uh, I had some talent, and I just felt if I really worked at it, you know, I could get better. Mississippi Valley State University, interestingly, 
you received other scholarship offers. You also had interest from Notre Dame, USC. Yet explain why you chose Mississippi Valley State University. I think a handshake is more important than anything. Uh, you know, I received so many letters and so many schools saying, hey, look, you know, we want you to come here. But Mississippi Valley sent out a coach uh, to talk to me and uh, we had a chance to sit down. I had a chance to look him straight in his eye and shake his hand. And he said, we're gonna do something special at Mississippi Valley State University. We're gonna throw the ball, we're gonna line up in a no huddle and the ball is gonna be in the air. Mississippi State was right up the road uh, from Crawford, Mississippi in Starkville, Mississippi but they were running the wishbone at that time. And I just felt like that was not a, a good place for me to go because they didn't throw the ball that, they didn't throw the ball that much. Uh, Jackson State uh, was the option, but it was just something about when I, when I sat in front of this coach and had the opportunity to shake his hand and I wanted to be part of uh, the Delta Devils and I went to uh, Mississippi Valley State. And to give this some context to people unfamiliar with the college football landscape, explain the significance of Mississippi Valley State's football program relative to that of other big D1 schools. <laughs> well, Mississippi Valley State University. Let me, let me see how I can describe that program. Uh, you have to work for everything. You didn't have access to so many uh, pair of pants, pair of shoes. It's a big deal when you got new sweatpants yeah, there. Yes, yes, it was a big deal. Uh, the weight room was okay, but it was not like any of those major schools. Uh, I would have to wash my uh, practice uniform every night because uh, you know, I felt like as a receiver you had to uh, represent yourself a certain way. So I washed my uniform every night and and at these major schools, uh, you know, once those guys practice and they get done with everything, then they have people to do that for them. So I had to work for everything at Mississippi Valley State. And, uh, but one thing that we did do, we threw the ball 90% of the time. And, and I felt like we could get so much attention from all the, the other schools and, and uh, the major uh, programs in the NFL. And, we went out because we put up outstanding numbers. And everybody, they were like, what is happening at this small, but I mean, predominant black school in Mississippi? And I think that put us on the map because we ran that no huddle and we threw the ball, uh, you know, so many times. You know, it was interesting. I, I was uh, watching your Hall of Fame speech uh, again, and, and something that I, I picked up on was that you said in the speech that one of the major forces that's driven you your entire life has been this fear of failure. Explain that if you don't mind. And, and I think that's something that's still driving me, the fear of failure. Never wanting to let anyone down. You know, I felt I had to represent Mississippi the right way because if I had success in the NFL, then they would go in there and look at those other players and give them the same opportunity. And I just, didn't want to let anyone down. I didn't want to let the fans down. I didn't want to let my family down. And, and I think it was that fear that, that just kept pushing me, where if I accomplished something, you know, I didn't get complacent. I wanted more. You know, I wanted to excel and, and I wanted to get better. 
in your early days playing in the NFL, I, I think you had a game where you dropped a couple oh. passes, and <laughs> I, you had, I dropped a lot of passes, especially <laughs> in your first year. Okay, yeah, yeah, you had a lot of games where you dropped yeah, a lot of yeah. passes, but there there was one game in particular. One of your teammates that I was talking to vividly remembers seeing you in the locker room, yeah. sitting oh. down, crying. Yeah. Why? Well, I was devastated because I I didn't know what was going on because. I was accustomed to catching footballs. That was never a problem for me. And and I'm like, okay, why is this happening? Why is this happening now? You know, yes, this is the level that I wanted to get to. These are the players that I, I, I wanted to play alongside. You know, a, a lot of the legends, the guys who uh, made football uh, what it is today. And I'm in the locker room and I'm playing with these guys, but I'm, I'm not really, uh, you know, I'm not living up to my responsibility. It was just that I was distracted by the playbook. I had to consume so much and, and learn so fast. And, and football is all about being comfortable out on the football field where uh, you know everything. Now you can just adjust and just be yourself. And once I got it, then I could be myself. But the early part, you know, I went through a lot of, uh, tough times and I remember like you said being in the locker room and I just started crying. How does losing impact you? I don't like losing. I, you play the game to win and that was something I had to adjust to because every time I stepped on the football field I expected to win and if I, if I didn't then all of a sudden I had to deal with that in a certain way and you notice probably uh, whenever I lost a football game, I had a hard time dealing with the media, you know, because I, I, I just felt like I didn't take enough time to, uh, to cool down and gather my thoughts, you know, because when you lose a game after being competitive like that, you know, your emotions and everything is like at a high like this. And, and you just, you know, you, you don't take time to uh, just calm down and, and gather yourself. On the field before a snap, what are you thinking about? Just how uh, I'm gonna beat this defensive back. Uh, what can I do to help my team uh, to keep that momentum going? Running the precise route and also blocking out everything that's around me and just uh, focusing on the football. So there's a lot going on, but through repetition, you get comfortable with it. So I'm always assessing everything that's happening when I come to the line of scrimmage. What type of defense that, that's being played. If it's man-to-man, -man, if it's zone, I'm just like the quarterback on the, on, on the football field. When uh, there was an article I read that was outlining some of your best attributes that made you into the you know, legendary great player that um, you are, and a few of them that uh, it mentioned were your burst off the line, the footwork, the field awareness, the hands, the guts, the uh, you know separation from the secondary. What would you say your best attribute was? Well, you know, I always wanted to be that complete receiver. I wanted to be able to do everything, you know. And you look at all the great receivers: uh, Lance One, uh, John Stallworth, uh, Dwight Clark, Freddie Solomon, uh, Steve Largent. You know, all of these guys, I, I, I wanted to, to be able to do everything. Run good routes, have good hands, 
be able to separate from the defensive back, all of those things. And, and I worked on certain tendencies, being explosive uh, the first five yards, breaking the defensive back down, not breaking my route until I step on his toes, get as close as possible to the defensive back. So I worked on everything and, and just tried to uh, be that complete receiver. How do you teach yourself how to develop that sort of body language, though, that enabled you to do that? I think it was just all the, the hard work that I was taught uh, as a kid. You know, uh, what my father and my mom, my mother instilled in me, you know, just, just work hard and not take anything for granted. And so many guys, I, and, and I hate to say so many guys all the time, they don't practice hard during the week. How can you excel on that uh, Sunday or that Monday if you don't put the time in? So uh, yeah, that was part of my routine, and I think that's why I was so uh, successful on the field. But I think it was you were timed, uh, you know, in the 40 coming out of college at like a 4-6 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they had which, me around 4-5, four, 4-6. Four, okay, which, yeah. which, you know, definitely isn't anything special relative to, you know, some of these first round, uh, you know, college kids that are drafted, but you had game speed. I explain what that well, is. Well, I, I think the thing now is that you see guys running such good time, 4-3, but uh, through technology and everything, they are like taught to run. So if I had all of that technology, I probably would have been able to run a 4-4, four, four, a 4, you know, 4-4-5 four, four, or something like that. And so everything is so much advanced, and I don't know why they put so much, uh, so much focus on uh, the 40, because you have to have football speed. You could be fast 60 yards and not be able to run by anyone, be able to drop your hips and come out of your cut, be able to get that separation that you need from a defensive back. So I had the football speed, and I, I, I always worked on running precise routes. And you know, just run uh, like watching certain guys, like Steve Largent. He was not the biggest, he was not the fastest, but he could get separation, and he had the heart, you know, to make those difficult catches. The same thing with Dwight Clark. Right, and guys that might have been able to outrun you based on the stopwatch. Oh yeah, straight ahead. Yes, you know. Uh, when they're, t you know, timed at the combine or something like that, suddenly couldn't uh, t touch you. Yeah. Plus, they're not uh, wearing a uniform. Right. Yeah, you know, I I had uh, the opportunity when I first came in with uh, Nehemiah, Ronaldo uh, Nehemiah. He was on the team, and I, I had a chance to work out with him. And you told my individual that could run, and uh, he had all of that, but you got to be able to run routes. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to drop your hips and come out of a cut in two steps not taking four or five steps, because if you take too many, that gives the defensive back an opportunity to break on the ball. And that, that was something that I was able to do and, and, and really uh, and make it a part of my game. And I think that's why uh, you know, I was able to accomplish what I did on the football field. I believe we're doing the interview today at the hotel that you had your uh, wedding reception party at right, 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 many right, years right. back. And, um, you know, I think it was after uh, you and your wife had your third child, what should have seemingly been a very happy day, all of a sudden immediately turned quite dire. Um, w what happened? We know we thought it was going to 
going to be a, a normal uh, delivery and all of a sudden things just went crazy and uh, and my wife uh, and which is my ex now uh, she almost died you know from it she lost a lot of blood and uh, all of a sudden chaos started uh, you know happening in the delivery room and I just knew it was a lot of commotion people moving around real fast and I knew something had gone wrong and uh, you know you think about uh, you know when you uh, having a child uh, a lot of people don't realize that the consequences and uh, the risk that you take and and uh, all of a sudden uh, you know we were uh, in the midst of everything so uh, the baby was healthy uh, my wife my ex-wife she almost died but she's uh, she's doing well now and and but looking back on that time it was real scary and and I remember, uh, you know, just uh, staying in the Stanford Hospital because everybody got to know me there. I think she was in a coma for about three months. And during that time, I was at the hospital, you know, with her. So I had a room upstairs. <laughs> and I would just come down and, and, and I, I was at a point where I could read when she was doing well, when she was doing bad. Really? But I just felt like, uh, I had to get her through that situation, and uh, and you know we were able to uh, walk away from it. How close was she very, to losing her life? Very close, very close, and and it was something that we never uh, fathom, fathom at all. Because then, you know, because we thought because of the first uh, pregnancy, the second one, everything went so well that the third one uh, would just be a, a shoe in. And like I said, then all of a sudden chaos hit, and uh, and we had to deal with it. And I mean, you would never even think that something like that would happen during a pregnancy. When when she. But then I, we went back and and we looked at the percentage of you know women uh, giving birth to kids, and that happens a lot. It's just that we don't hear about it. Um, when she woke up from the uh, coma, I, I understand, I mean, the, she had difficulty even keeping yeah. the saliva in her mouth just from a lack of uh, energy. What was that period like after waking up in terms of regaining the physical ability? Well, it, it was very difficult because, you know, we talk about a very healthy individual and someone that was accustomed to taking care of themselves. And now all of a sudden, uh, she was on uh, a respirator, all that stuff, and uh, and not being able to breathe. And after uh, you know taking taking her off the the tube, now uh, trying to to be able to walk again, to be able to eat, to do all of those things. And I just felt like it was up to me to be there for her because she had been there for me throughout my career. So everything went on the back burner and, and I was there because when she woke up, I was the first person uh, that she looked up and, and she saw. And I, I think that made her smile. And so, you know, it's, I just felt like I had to be there for her. Going through all of that, uh, what do you think you learned? <laughs> that it's just not, it's just not all about football to be honest with you. I, uh, if I could go back and change a lot uh, during my career, I probably would because I was so focused on being the best uh, player I could be. And, and then you lose sight of uh, other things that, that's happening around you. And 
you know, I think family is the most important thing. Uh, you know, spending time with your kids every day, you know, telling your kids that you love them and, uh, and not just uh, focusing on yourself. So it's more uh, to life than that. What would you do differently? Well, probably, uh, you know, family-wise, I felt like the most important thing for me, and I think my father instilled this in me, is taking care of my family, making sure they don't have to go through uh, what I had to go through. So I, you know, I, I focus really hard on that. Also, you know, you have to focus on your marriage. You know, you have to put those things first. Uh, uh, besides your career. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, just trying to be, uh, I would say, the complete uh, uh, father, you know, in every way, and, and uh, the family man. There were a couple quotes I wanted to read. First, uh, being uh, Michael Silver, who covers football and uh, wrote your book with you, he said, um, quote, to me, it felt right that he was the one who enjoyed unprecedented success on Sundays because everything I'd witnessed from Monday through Saturday <laughs> suggested he prepared hardest and cared most. Uh, Michael Silver, Steve Young, uh, yeah. your former teammate and uh, the Hall of Fame quarterback, said, uh, quote, when people talk about Jerry's work ethic and say, oh, it's really extreme, they do it a disservice. There's an iron will to it. It's over his dead body. <laughs> Jerry, to the core, was driven. You belittle that drive by saying he had just a great work ethic. Most people have an off switch, and they choose when to go all out. Jerry didn't have an off switch. Uh, so that, that's Steve Young. And he, he actually, he also recalled the story about how after uh, you guys won the 95 uh, Super Bowl. Um, and I was like, back out there running. Right, right. Three, three, week, three weeks after the game, uh, he's going to clean out his locker, and he sees you catching passes from the groundskeeper and r running sprints. Why? Because it was time to get ready again. This uh, is seven months before the yes, season. Was yes, set it to was start. time to get ready, and I just felt like, uh, you know, I couldn't get complacent. I, I wanted more. I was still hungry, so I started uh, training my body uh, to get ready to make that run again, and. Did I enjoy winning the Super Bowl? Yes. But, uh, you know, I just felt like that, that clock was ticking and, and I was ready to uh, try to get back to the next one. How many days a year would you work out? After the season, I would take uh, maybe two weeks off, then I'd go right back into it. Uh, doing some long-distance work and just giving my body time to recoup. But then as we got closer, uh, to minicamp, I would turn it up a notch because I now I get into my cutting and also my being explosive, uh, you know, with the football. So I had a process, and and I, I think it just uh, it helped me to uh, sustain longevity for so many years because the lifespan of a football player is about four years, and I exceeded that by 16. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how many hours would you work out for daily? Uh, from 7 o'clock till about 1 o'clock. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing my running early. Uh, then I'm doing my route running on the field, catching the football. Then I'm off to the gym, maybe 10.30 or something like that to lift, you know, to work on my upper body, my lower body. 
So every day was, uh, you know, from seven till one, then I was out. I spoke to uh, JJ Stokes about you the other day, and he was telling me how him and uh, Eddie George had a bit of difficulty the first, and it might have been the only time they came out uh, to do your workout program with you and run the uh, legendary hill. H how tough is it for somebody, regardless of the caliber of athlete, they are, and you've had good ones out there, Barry Bonds, Barry Sanders. Yeah, Barry Sanders, uh, the, all the, those the guys. The first time these guys go through it with you. It, it's, it's really a gut check, and you have to take your, your body to a point where you can, can endure it. And as an athlete, you never want to quit, because if you all of a sudden start quitting, you're going to feel like it's okay to quit on anything. But once, once, you, once you conquer the hill, then you always feel like, you know, I have to be able to do that over and over and remember I can't quit. One of your teammates told me that if you saw somebody practicing or working out just as hard as you, you would then have to go back and work out or I practice I would have to go back and, and assess everything and push myself a little bit harder. What? And in same day, it could be. Yeah, because here, here's, here's the thing with me, you know, and I always thought that it was someone working harder than I was working. And But it wasn't to like one-up the person, that wasn't right. how no, you No, 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 that, okay. that was not it. It was just that, you know, I feel like all over the league, anywhere in the league, uh, you had uh, players working harder. And that was my motivation to do extra and push myself harder. You know, if I had to do two a days or something like that, work out in the morning and then go back in the afternoon, I would do that because I just felt like I had to be the best conditioned uh, athlete. Uh, there would be a mandatory day off during training camp for veterans. Is in training camp is, you know, two a days grueling. Most players hate and, it. And I hated is that. Is it true you would be irritated when you had to take a day I, off? I hated that. I, I, I hated having a day off because I, I felt like it cut into uh, what I was trying to pre prepare to do, you know, and trying to get to the level that I wanted to get to. So uh, those two days, I look forward to it. I went to camp early. I went to camp with the rookies. So they, they're like, oh my God, here's Jerry. Jerry, the veterans are not expected to be here right now, okay? <laughs> so I was there with the rookies, rookies and I was already getting myself ready uh, for training camp. But a day off, I felt like I, I lost ground. And you know, Bill Walsh, he always wanted to give me a day off during the week. But I felt like I needed that day to, to be able to get those uh, repetitions where I see certain looks of the defense where I could go out there and, and, and perform at my best uh, on that Sunday. How careful were you about your diet? Very. Uh, I, I would play with my weight a lot, you know, you know because the game, the, it goes back and, and, and forth. You have defensive backs, these guys getting bigger, they're getting stronger and all that. Then I felt like I needed to add weight. And you aren't even doing that justice. I mean, in one season you started at 112, then you dropped down to like 194. And th this is like by choice you oh, play with your weight. I, I, I started one year, I think I was around about... I'm 212, I'm sorry. Yeah, about, yeah. about two, uh, 212, around 216. Okay. And I felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm too bulky here. 
you know, I felt like I was running, but I was not moving that fast. And this so, isn't fat that you have. No, on, right? so it very, you know, muscular and stuff like that. And I just felt I, I got to trim, I got to trim down. So my my eating, uh, you know, a lot of baked stuff, you know, uh, baked chicken, fish, and I, I went on this uh, this uh, I wouldn't call it a diet, but I, I just made sure I ate right and I got down you know, to my weight of about, uh, uh, I think about 190, 189. And that's when I felt like I was at my best. I could run forever. And because of the way I had conditioned myself, I was gonna wear my opponent out. Plus I was explosive, being able to come off the line, being elusive at the line and, and just running away from people. What do you think, and you already mentioned, I mean, the average career of an NFL player is under four years. You played in excess of 20. Um, what, what do you think enabled you to play for so long? My conditioning and, and what I put my body through. And also, but being smart on the field. I, I read the defense just like a quarterback. I know what's happening. I'm not gonna run through a zone and where the ball is gonna be thrown to me and I just almost get taken out. So, you know, I was very smart on the football field and I had eyes in the back of my head and I knew those areas to get to and be smart. And also when I'm running with the football, I got very good vision. I know when to protect myself and get down. So a, a combination of everything, you know, the way I, I conditioned myself, uh, the way I ate uh, and, and, and giving my body rest, and also, uh, you know, just being smart on the football field. And no wide receiver had ever played over 40 years old at 42 years old. With I was the, the oldest, I think I was the oldest player receiver to uh, score uh, in a Super Bowl when I was with the Raiders. Well, and then with the Seahawks, <laughs> uh, you have one, one game, eight passes, 145 yards and a touchdown at, at 42 uh, years old. With the 49ers though, what what are your thoughts on, you know, how, how things ended with the organization? Well, it's, 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 you know the clock is ticking. I mean, once you get in your 30s, then uh, it's almost like they're looking to replace you. And that was uh, also an incentive, incentive for me to work myself just a little bit harder because I, I, I knew they were looking for something. Uh, maybe... Uh, He's not as explosive as he used to be. You know, he's, he can't run by uh, defensive backs like he used to. So I, I never wanted them to think that way. And, uh, and then I'm also, I'm fighting off the media too, because, you know, if the, me if the media, if they say, well, he done slowed down, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, people, uh, they start to think that. Mm -hmm. So I'm fighting that too. So I, I knew the clock was ticking, but, when it happened, I, I uh, you know, I was hurt because I thought I would end my, my career with the San Francisco 49ers. That's what I wanted to do. You know, that was my team. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen that way, and I had to go on to the Raiders because I, I still felt like I had football in me, and, and I wanted to uh, continue to play. Your final home game as a 49er, uh, members of the you know, crowd just did not want to leave. And so you get to the mic and uh, give a speech. What, what do you recall from that? I, I, what I recall is that 
this, it happened all of a sudden because I didn't know that I was going to have to deliver a speech uh, after that game. All of a sudden it just happened. And, uh, you know, I wanted to thank the crowd for, for supporting me for so many years, you know, giving me that inspiration to go out there and play my best football. And, you know, I didn't have the ultimate game. I, I think that game, uh, Terrell Owens, he called over 21 balls. And, uh, and I think Mariucci, Steve Mariucci, he was the, the head coach at that time. But still, you know, I, I felt like it was time to pass that torch on, and that's when I uh, gave uh, Terrell uh, the game ball. But that came up all of a sudden, and but I, I felt like it was uh, it was something that uh, that was important, and I needed to uh, address the crowd because uh, they inspired me to uh, play my best football. To what extent did whatever? resentment or negative feelings you had towards the organization at that time changes times passed since then you know no resentment or anything like that but I think it just gave me uh, lit that fire under me to prove them wrong and I think I went over to the Raiders and I had an exceptional year and I went to the Pro Bowl and I put up outstanding numbers but you know stuff I, I have always used stuff that was uh, that was negative and made it into a positive so, uh, you know, things happen for a reason, and, and I guess it was, it was time to move on. You said nothing in life can replace playing on Sunday. Nah. I explain that. Nothing. Nothing can replace that. Being able to run on that field in front of a big crowd, you know, feeling that energy, uh, knowing that you're getting ready to go out there and do battle with your team, and, uh, and being able to go out there and win football games, you know. Being on that big stage, uh, the Super Bowl, <laughs> knowing you are the only two teams playing, and and one team is going to win and 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 be the champs. So uh, so it's something I'll never forget. And and you know I I have tried to do a lot of other things to try to replace that, but you can't because I played it for a long time. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed running on the field, going over to my section where I had this crowd, uh, this crowd of people that they knew I was coming over there every home game just to get them going and uh, then just going out there and, and trying to play my best football on that given day. You could have paid me five bucks and I, I, I would have went out there and played football because I love doing it and just entertaining so many people. and. And, and, and just uh, just trying to be the best that I can be. Interestingly, during the last couple of years of your career when you were no longer the center of attention per se and you know getting the ball thrown to you every time, you actually said you started to enjoy the game a, a little more. In, well, in what ways? Well, I think I had a chance to reflect on everything and just slow down and and I, I had this one coach, he would say, Jerry, you need to smell the roses. You need to sit back and, and look at your career and what you have accomplished and all the hard work, the dedication that you put in. And I had blinders on when I, when I was uh, you know, at my peak, at the beginning of my career, uh, in the middle part of my career. But then towards the end, all of a sudden, now I was not the, the key component. You know, I could step back and reflect and be more of a mentor and try to pass that knowledge on to different players and say, hey, you know what? 
you know, you gave it 100%. You, you look back on your career, you don't have any, uh, any question marks or anything like that. When I look at my career, I can say, I always gave 100%. I never cheated to fans. I never uh, cheated my, my teammates, and, uh, and I was able to uh, just go out there and, and play my best football. In the remaining moments I have with you, just wanted to touch on a, a few other uh, quick topics. The, the first being kind of a peculiar story that the, with the Raiders and Bucks, uh, Super Bowl 37, uh, you and Tim Brown obviously <laughs> played for Oakland, uh, and you know where I'm going yeah, with I know this. Where you're uh, going with this. Tim Brown came out and said head coach Bill Callahan essentially sabotaged the game to let the Buccaneers win. And you agreed. You you no, backed, what, backed him up. No, what I said is that I just found it was very unusual to change the game plan, uh, you know, right before uh, almost game time, the day of the game. I have and and I have gone through situations. I had played in Super Bowls with the Niners and stuff like that. What you work on all week long, you carry that into that ball game. So we just felt like. You know, it was weird that uh, that he made that change because all week long we we talked about pounding the ball, running the ball with uh, with the running backs that we had. Then all of a sudden that Saturday, uh, we decided that we were going to throw the ball, and we also we lost our, our starting center, uh, you know, and Baron uh, I think Baron Rob Robbins, uh, we lost him, so uh, that really uh, put us at a disadvantage, but. You know, I just felt that it was weird for a coach to do that. Why do you think Tim felt so strongly about it? Well, Tim uh, and, and and Tim and I, we have had this, this discussion over and over again, and he was he was the voice with the Oakland Raiders. Nothing, nothing, everything went through Tim Brown. So, it, it, you know, he felt like it was just unusual that he also made a move like that, and we talked about it, and as guys that have been around for a long, long time that have played the game uh, for so many years, we just felt like it was very unusual for him to make that change. Why do you think he would have done it? I, to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, would this guy uh, sabotage his coaching career for something like that? I, you know, I, I didn't go that far. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know what, uh, that individual is uh, thinking, but I knew that the most important thing for me, once you get to that position, is to win that Super Bowl. The way you prepare all week long, you go with it, no matter what. And I just found like felt like it was very unusual for that to change on that uh, that Saturday. Golf. Uh, I see you every year at the American Century Championship in Lake Tahoe at the Edgewood uh, Golf Course. Is it true that when you were playing with uh, the San Francisco 49ers, yeah. you would wake up 4 a.m. to 4 hit golf balls before having to be there at 8.30? 4 a.m., then I was at the driving range by 6. Uh, meetings start uh, with the team around 8. Okay. So from 6 till about uh, 7.30, then I would just jet out of there and make my meeting and practice all day long. Then after, I uh, come back and hit golf balls and work really? on, my, on my game. I just uh, I became obsessed with the game. I, I love the game. It's an individual sport. One of the games that you can't conquer. There's this little white ball. You can't hit it exactly where you want it to go. 
and you just never know what you're going to get on that uh, you know that given day. It's so many faces to the game, and uh, and you know the texture of uh, the golf course, you know. Uh, strategic wise how you gonna make decisions out there so it was it, it was very uh, exciting to me I, I know your ex-wife has said before that you want that green jacket but but real realistically I mean what level of interest do you have in you know pursuing no it? You, you know what that's just like me waking up and say you know what I'm gonna go uh, professionally and play golf mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way, and and a lot of uh, golfers out there they have played this game all you know their entire life, and still just can't get to the PGA. So uh, so it's something I, I I can dream about and and I can have fun with, but I, I just know it's not going to happen. But I uh, I love the game. I like uh, putting the work in, the time, the dedication, all that, and and trying to uh, to better my game. Really a pleasure, Thanks. Jerry. Thank you. Thank you for making the time. <laughs> Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening to my interview with Jerry Rice. To see more of our time with him in San Francisco, including running the legendary hill, visit youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger, and you can visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.